This is the FBCG Live Podcast with Pastor John K. Jenkins Sr. Today's message is titled, Justified, the Book of Galatians Chapter 4. Galatians Chapter 4 highlights the status of heirs, Paul's warning and admonition, and the law versus the gospel. Wherever you're joining us from, we pray this message encourages and empowers you in your daily walk with God. All right, we are in the book of Galatians. That's what we've been preaching and teaching about is from the book of Galatians. And uh, we've gone through the first three chapters and we are in chapter four. And so uh, if you haven't been with us, you might have to go back and look at the previous chapters that we've talked about. But we're going to pick up right at chapter four and um, uh, begin there. Uh, as we uh, start now, let me do this because actually chapter three ends and chapter four picks up talking about the same thing. They're talking about uh, the fact that God has made us sons and heirs. He has empowered us to be his children. Basically, he's adopted us into the family of God. And let me let me ask the, uh, our production team. Let's pick up at chapter three. In verse 26, just for reading purposes, let me read verses started verse 26, and then I'll pick up at chapter four, verse one. Uh, we've 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 entitled the theme of this thing um, justification. We've entitled it justification uh, because there's so many just that are in the scriptures in this book that God wants us to be just like Him. That He wants us to understand that he's put us in a just posture and God has justified us. He has treated us as though we've never done anything wrong. That's that's great news. I need y'all to get that. He treats us as though we've never missed the mark. He doesn't bring up our past. He doesn't remind us of our failures. He treats us as though we haven't done any of that. And so uh, we want we, that's our theme throughout this book of uh, of Galatians. So let's just for reading purposes, because of chapter four really is a continuation of the latter part of chapter three. Let me read verses 26 through 29 of chapter three, for it says verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized in the Christ, have been baptized in the Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I love that right there. We're sons of God by faith, not by works, not because we kept the law, not because we dotted every I and crossed every T. Verse 26 says we are sons through faith. Through our belief in the Lord Jesus, we are made sons and we got baptized into the body of Christ. This is not, now that word baptism is not talking about water baptism. It's talking about a spiritual baptism. We have been baptized in the Christ by water baptism, not by water baptism, by spiritual baptism. That he has immersed us into the relationship with Christ spiritually. And so we were baptized in the Christ and we put on Christ. And so when we put on Christ... God doesn't look at whether we are black or white, whether we are Jew or Greek, whether we are slave or free, whether we are male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's an important thing to say. And if you are Christ, verse 29, then you are Abraham's seed. We are sons of Abraham. 
and heirs according to the promise that was made to Abraham. That's when we pick up at verse 1 of chapter 4. And it says this, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Let me, let me start this uh, teaching by highlighting the fact that the first seven verses talks about the status of heirs. That's what this talks about. I want to I spend just a moment. Uh, uh, I want to highlight the fact that the first seven verses point to and give us reflections on our status. Who are we in God? He, he has given us status. And so he says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, the, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. So even though... Even though the, uh, uh, he's an heir, he's still in a learning status. And, and that's what this first verse talks about. The status of an heir while you are in a learning capacity. While you are recognizing and understanding, in fact, uh, who you are and whose you are and what nature God has for you. He says you're in the learning status. You're, you're an heir, so you're still learning. So while we're, uh, even though we're an heir... We're learning, he says that in, in verse number one. But uh, he says in verse number two, uh, verse two, uh, he said in verse two, two also, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Until the time that God says you are now ready to transition from being under a guardian and under stewards. But you are now at the appointed time that God says you are brought to a status of an heir. And that's great news. So there comes a time uh, that even though we are, we are heirs, but we're still learning so we understand what our heirship means, what it means to be an heir, what rights and privileges it gives us, what power it gives us. God wants us to learn what that is so we know how to operate and what it is he's created us to do. Even so, verse number three, even so, even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And that's why we were, we were while we were learning, we were under the elements of the world. We were under the components that led and fed and was uh, uh, spoken to uh, or um, influenced by the world. Even so, we were children. Uh, we were in bondage under the power of the elements of the world. We were under the control of the influences of the world. But, verse 4, look at verse 4. That's where we were. But, God sticks his butt in the circumstance and the situation. But, verse 4 says, when the fullness of the time had come. Oh, I love this verse right here. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. At the appropriate time, at the fullness of time, at the appropriate space and time, God sent his son into the world so that we could be redeemed. Now, that's worthy, that's worthy of, of a shout right there. At the appropriate time in history, God sent Jesus to come and die on the cross for us that we could be uh, redeemed. He could purchase us. We, we, we belong to the Lord. You and I. When you accept Jesus, you belong to Christ. You, we, we become his sons and daughters. 
We become his children. Uh, we are redeemed and adopted. We're going to see that in a moment. He, he, he redeemed us and ad adopted us. And verse five, look at verse, here's what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions as sons. I love that verse right there because it tells us that we have been redeemed, paid for. That word redeems means God paid for us. He bought us. He went and paid the price to pull us out of the bondage and the challenges that we were in. He sent his son at the appropriate time to redeem us and, thank God, add this to the end of those notes, adopt us. We have been adopted into the household of faith. That word adoption means he has, he has made us legal sons with all the rights and privileges that go with a son. That's, oh, that's, I want you to understand that. We got the same rights as Abraham's children because we are Abraham's seed, he says. I think uh, uh, we talked, I think Reverend Gordon talked about that a little bit last week about the fact that we have been, uh, we're the seeds. We, we, we fall under the same authority and category of that. So he has redeemed us and adopted us. Y'all got to know that. You got to know that you're a child of God, that you belong to him, that you're in his family. That when you accept Jesus, you are in the family. And he has made this possible. So we were, we, when we were children, we were under bondage. But now, at the right time, in the fullness of time, he sent his son, born of a woman, uh, and born, born under the law, to redeem us, uh, and those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of his sons. I think that's great news. That's wonderful news, powerful news. And I give God praise about that. And then verse 6 and 7 says this, And because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Stick a pen. Hold up. Stick a pen. Somebody say, slow down, Pastor. Let me slow down. <laughs> and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Did y'all get that? Did that go over here? He, he made us, he has made us his sons and heirs, but guess what? Add this to your notes. I should have put this as one of the sub points to make. He sent forth his spirit into our hearts. He sent forth his spirit to come into our hearts and make us his children. He, his spirit woke us up from our sleeping stupor. We were dead. On our way to hell, we were lost. We were in a horrible condition. But guess what? I got great news. He sent his spirit into our hearts. That's what makes us who we are. That's what gives us life. Uh, but, oh, you know, I forgot. I, I, they told me to tell you all about my, uh, the notes that you can get. And I forgot, you know, they... they they even wrote a little sticky here to help me to do it, and I forgot. You can get the notes so that you don't have to put, take so many, write so much down and fill in the blank and add whatever you need to add to it at fbc.org slash Bible study. So I'm, I'm sorry I forgot to tell y'all. Uh, if, if you're just getting this, then just go back and pick it up from where we are. Then you can go back and watch the replay of this and fill in what you may have missed out because I can't go back. Sorry about that. My, my bad. My apologies. But anyway, did y'all hear that point I'm making here, that he sent forth his spirit into our hearts? He, he instructed them to come. 
his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come into our hearts. And he made us his sons and he made us heirs. I, I feel a praise and I give God the glory and give God the shout that he has made us that. He has, he has put us in a posture that has made, makes us special. And, and I just think it's important that you know that. Uh, and that's what Paul is trying to tell the church in Galatians and tell us that that's, that's who we are, that's where we are, and that's what we should do. So that's our status. That's what this whole first seven verses is about. It's understanding our status as children of God. I want y'all to get that. Please know that. Don't let the devil deceive you. Don't let the devil make you doubt who you are. Um, tell, 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 just do whatever you have to do uh, to make yourself know that you're a child of God and that he sent his Holy Spirit into your heart. It's already, when you got saved, he's already there. You know, that, and he, you know what? When he comes, he stays. He ain't moving in and out. He don't leave. The Holy Spirit is always with you. He's always inside of you. He always lives. Once he comes in, he stays. He abides. That's what the scripture says. He abides. He lives in us. You don't, you don't have to think that he has left or forsaken you. He's already there. Now, in the next section of this passage, in chapter 8, verse 8, I'm sorry, we're still in chapter 4, but in verses 8 through 20, I call this section God's uh, using Paul to give to the church in Galatia, to the churches in Galatia, a warning and admonition. He's warning them about some things, but he's also admonishing them. He's encouraging them in some ways. And we're going to take a look at what those are. And so in verse eight, it says this. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. Here's what he says in verse eight. There was a time when we didn't know God. And when we didn't know him, we served false gods. Y'all might as well tell the truth. There was a time and season in your life when you didn't serve God. You, you served what Paul calls false gods. That's what he says. They, they, were, they were not even gods. Uh, you, you, you serve those which by nature are not really, they're not gods. They're fake. They're pretend. They're, they're, um, they're, they're perpetrators. They want to be God. They want to be treated like God. They want to be honored like they're God, but they're not God. And so he says, there was a time when you didn't know who God was, when you didn't have a relationship with him, when you didn't know him for yourself. There was a season and a time when you served those gods. It was what you did by regular human nature. And they're not God. In verse nine, he says, but now. I like verse nine. He says, but now after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Now, now here's what he's saying. You, you, you now have a relationship with God and he knows who you are. And he said, why are you returning? Why are you going back to a, a religion that doesn't give you life. Why do you go back to practices and doing things that doesn't give you life? That's another powerful, profound point. He says, you, 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 you have known God. You've had a relationship with him. You've seen him open up doors and answer your prayers and demonstrate how real he is. 
uh, and God knows who you are, why would you return? Why would you go back? He calls that weak and beggarly elements. Why would you go back to that which is weak and beggarly? That word weak means without strength. It has no strength. You're going back to practicing and you're going back to embracing those things which have no strength. And beggarly means lacking resources. It means, it means you don't have any resources at all. It, it doesn't provide you resources. It, it won't answer your prayers. It won't give you what you stand in the need of. He calls what they once practiced and what they once did, he calls it weak and beggarly. He says, to which you desire again to be in bondage. You want to go back under that bondage? It's bondage. The God we serve gives us freedom. We're not, we're not in bondage to, look at verse 10. Why are we here right in verse 9? Let me go ahead and read verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. He says in verse 11, and I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. He says, I'm concerned that you're going back to something that you have been delivered from and you're practicing that. Uh, and Paul says, I'm concerned about it. I'm worried about what you're going back to. I'm concerned that you are forsaking the freedom that God has given to you. Uh, and I can't, I, I, you, 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 you're observing the laws with the, the days and the months and the seasons and the, 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 the different elements of the law. You're going back to observing these practices. They don't give you laws. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, let me tell you something. I'm not a person, because I know a lot of people, you know, recognize certain things, certain days, certain practices, Lent, and uh, all of these different things people practice. I, I have to tell you, that's not been my, my practice nor my lifestyle. So you, you, you don't see us being a church where we're, you know, we don't pass out palms on Palm Sunday. Uh, we, don't, we don't put the little ash stuff on your head on Ash Wednesday. We're not we're not into those. I'm not into those things. And so I guess since I'm the pastor, people, the church don't do it. But I'm not into those seasons and days. I'm into my personal daily relationship with God. Are you all hearing what I'm saying to you today? This this this, this is a relationship with God. It's not practicing these. I'm not saying they're bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's, they're bad. I'm just saying. Uh, I, I haven't been able to get into observing certain days and certain months and certain seasons like that in a religious way. And so Paul says, I'm afraid that y'all are getting back under bondage and that you're going back to, to those practices. So he's trying to give us a warning about these things. And so in verses 12 uh, through 20, uh, he wants to make some declarations to us about this. He says in verse 12, look at verse 12. He says, uh, brethren, I urge you to become like me. Look, look at how I'm living my life. You don't see me going back to those things. I'm not practicing those things. For I became like you. Uh, you have not injured me at all. He says, I'm not hurt by you going back to this. You haven't damaged me. I'm not the one that's hurt by this. But he says, brothers, you know, verse, verse 13 that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. So, so he says, I'm not, I, what you've gone back to do hasn't brought pain, it hasn't hurt me. You haven't damaged me in my relationship with God. 
He says, but I wish you would try to even practice what I'm practicing. But he says this, your actions haven't hurt me, but look what I did. I have preached the true gospel to you. Verse 13, he says, you know that because of physical infirmities, I preached the gospel to you at the first. Even though I was in physical pain and I had issues and I had challenges. And he doesn't tell us what those physical issues were, but even in his pain or whatever he was going through, he said, I pressed my way. I pressed my way through what I was feeling and what I was going through to preach to you, he says. He says, uh, 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 you know that because of those physical infirmities and in spite of those physical infirmities and in the midst of those physical infirmities, I preached the gospel to you. And my trial, verse 14, uh, in my, in verse four, let me, because I know I'm going too fast. Uh, in verse 14, he says, and my trial, let me slow down, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. He says, whatever it was that he was going through, I, I surmise, I suspect that maybe it had him looking bad. Maybe it had him looking unfavorable or not, not, you know, not appealing, maybe what he was going through had him looking not at the best. And, and, I, and I, what I hear him saying is you didn't despise or reject me, but you received me. You heard me when I preached to you the first when I first came. And I'm appreciative that you received me and heard me and accepted me. He says uh, you, you, you received me just like you would have received an angel of God or even even you would have received Jesus. You received me like that. And I'm grateful. Uh, that you that you 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 went through that posture and did that you received me uh, when I even went through my own when I went through that trial when I went through what I went through you received me. Verse fifteen says, "What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me." Here's here's what he's saying. Uh, uh, y'all, y'all got a blessing for me preaching, but I want to bear witness that that perhaps his, he had a problem with his eyes. Maybe his eyes, maybe he was blinded in some way or maybe they had been hurt in some way. And I hear him saying, I believe you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me because you're of your concern for me. When you saw what I looked like and how I was, you, you, you would have you would have endured the pain. You would have endured what you've which you've which you've gone through. And he says, I'm I'm I'm, I'm I, I just want to acknowledge that, that you would have done that for me. Uh, you you would have received the punishment that I've gone through. You would have done it and the pain that I've gone through. You would have accepted it for me. And, and, and I hear Paul saying, I'm grateful for that. Uh, but then he says in verse 16. Look, look, let me read verse 16 to you. He says, have I therefore became your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. And did I did I am I am I now not your friend? Am I now not the person that's your friend? Um, uh, uh, have I become a person that's opposing you just because I'm telling you the truth and I'm challenging you in going back to these practices? Have I done something wrong? Because you are heeding these false teachers. You see, you see, a part of the problem was that there were these Judaizers who were promoting Judaism and encouraging them to go back to Judaism in the church. 
they were coming and trying to persuade them to go back to these practices that, of the Jews, of Judaism. And, he, and he's saying, you know, um, uh, uh, why are you doing this? Verse 17, they, they zealously court you, but for no good. They, they, they're trying to get you to come, but it's not, it's not for your benefit. It's, it's not going to help you, verse 17. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. They want you to come to their way of thinking. They want you to think like them. And so he says they're zealous. They're anxious to get you on their side, but it's not to your benefit because they're, they're taking you backwards. He's saying, uh, yes, they want to exclude you. Uh, that they that you may be zealous for them. They want you on their team and on their side. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always. And not only when I am present with you. He, he says, here's what Paul says in verse number 18. I know I'm rushing. He says, I'm glad that you're zealous for good things. Uh, if it's a good thing, it's great. And, I'm, and I want you to be zealous whether I'm present with you or not. Verse 18. And not only when I am present with you. He said. Ooh, I don't know why I'm getting that call from who's calling me. Call your boss, tell him I'm teaching Bible study right now, and he FaceTimed me in the middle of my... Uh... <laughs> why is the minister, one of the people in our music department calling me uh, Anthony? <laughs> I don't know why he's calling me in the middle of my Bible study. He's FaceTiming me. He must be trying to tell me something. Maybe I'm going too fast. Let me. Am I going too fast, y'all? Maybe I need to slow down. I'm probably going too fast, and you know, because I I know he's trying to tell me. To, I bet he's trying to tell me to slow down. Uh, <laughs> I you know what? I'm almost sure uh, that's probably what he's trying to do. But I wish he would have instead texted me or something or sent me a note in. Uh, in um, planning center or something. Anyway, uh, did he say what he wants? He, he said it was a mistake. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was an error. Okay. I, I, it's still going to make me slow down. So, uh. <laughs> okay. All right. That was a, a butt call, <laughs> they call it. Where, where was I? I was about to make some profound point. Um, uh, so, so verse 18 is saying, it says, I want you to be zealous, but, but no, don't just do it when I'm there, even when I'm not there. Uh, don't be, be zealous for what's good all the time. And I, and I would say the same thing to us. Let's be enthusiastic. Let's be fervent. Let's be prepared and ready and passionate, um, uh, enthusiastically. At the right time, at this time, that we don't ever uh, get frustrated or, 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 but let's be zealous for the right things. His point to them is be zealous, um, uh, be zealous even when I'm not there, was what Paul is saying. And I'm saying to you, y'all be excited about the things of God even when the, you ain't in church, even when your pastor ain't right there. Be zealous for the things of God. Be excited for the word of God and the truth of God. Be thrilled 
uh, and anxious about it. And don't be persuaded by false teachers. Don't, be, don't allow them to fool you uh, by the, in, in the wrong direction. And then he says in verse 19, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I put a circle around that verse. He says, my little children for whom I labor in birth again. I, he says, I'll go through the pains of getting you saved again. If I need to go through it all over again until I see Jesus in you, I'm willing to do that. That's what he's saying. I'm willing, Paul is saying, to go through everything I've had to go through. I'm willing to go through it again so that I can see Christ in you. I was telling my staff today that what God is ultimately interested in and what God ultimately wants is for us to look like Jesus. And I was telling my staff today, God's about developing your character. He's about developing your character uh, so that you look like him. That's what it's all about, developing your character so that we can, we can be examples and we can be a reflection of Jesus so that when Jesus looks in you, that he sees himself. That is what he's ultimately interested in, developing us to be like him. That's what God wants in you, for you to be like Jesus. When people holler at you and treat you wrong and cuss you out, rather than you cussing them out back, he wants to see you do and respond like he did when they hung him on the cross. When he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He wants us to, he wants when other people treat you wrong, to see himself reflected in you, when people lie on you, when people, people treat you in a way that's not acceptable, he wants to see his reflection in you. That's what it's all about. And, 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 I, and I told my staff today, pretty much probably everything you're going through in life is God's way of trying to shape your character. And you know what? You know what? Ultimately, what God is after is you have to keep going through that process again. That's why some of y'all keep repeating the first grade. You keep going through the same thing again. Different people, but the same issue. He's trying to get you to learn. You know, you go through, you're going through relationship after relationship because you haven't learned what God wants you to learn. You haven't learned. You haven't developed the character. You haven't shaped yourself to be what it is God wants you to be. I am teaching and preaching today whether y'all saying anything or not. That's what he, he wants. He wants to see birthed in us. His reflection. And until we get to that place, that's it's gonna call it's gonna cause us to be that. And so uh uh and then he says, uh, let me close this section with verse 20. He says this in verse 20: I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. He says, I wish I could be with you now, because I want to see that you that you I can get you on the right track so I can change my attitude about what I'm feeling. But he said, right now, I got some doubts about where you are. I have doubts about what direction you're going in. I have questions about what posture you're taking, what, what, what choices you're making, what direction you're going in. He says, I got some concerns about it. So he says, I would like to be there with you now so I can help change my, my tone toward you so that... Um, I won't have no doubts about where you're standing. And that's what it's really all about is helping to make sure that you're in. Um, you're in the right. You're in the right page. You're in the right direction. You're doing the right thing. You're headed in the right direction. I don't, I don't know if y'all heard that, but I don't know what it is.
All right. Let me go to um, let me go to the next section. It's it's uh, verse twenty one through thirty one. That's going to wind up this section of chapter four, um, and it's verses twenty one through thirty one. Let's go through that. It's a, it's about the law versus the gospel. So he's just ex, just uh, explaining and uh, expounding and making the distinction between the law and the gospel. These two covenants. And so um, he says in verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you do you not hear the law? Have you heard the law? Do you know what the law says? Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bond woman was born according to the flesh and he of the free woman through promise. Okay, let's slow down. Let's 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 get an understanding of what that what what he's saying there. Let's get that. He starts off by saying, "Are you aware of what the law says?" That's his first that's the first point in chapter 21. But then in verse uh, verse 21, verse 22 and 23, he's saying, "Look, Abraham had two sons." And those of you who know the story of Abraham, Abraham had two sons. One was born in an ordinary manner through an act of the flesh, through the act of trying to accomplish God's will through fleshly means. And the other was because of a promise. So God had told Abraham he was going to be the father of a great nation. Some of y'all know, know the, uh, the story. He was going to be the father of a great nation. And here he is. Uh, age getting getting old and saying he had no kids, so he decided he and his wife Sarah decided that they would help God out because he's supposed to be the father of a great nation. But they didn't have no kids; they didn't have no children. And so the scripture says that um, uh, they got their handmaiden, uh, uh, got their handmaiden, and, and Abraham birthed a son through his handmaiden, through the maid. Uh, but that's a human effort. God never told him to do that. But he, and, and that's part of the problem of the Middle East. These are the, descent, the Middle East drama is from the two sons of Ab Abraham that are, that are warring against each other. Uh, that, that's where all this Middle East drama comes from. But, but these, these two sons also represent two covenants. They represent two, two essence of how God operates. And, and verse 23 says, or verse 21 says, the one, it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman, one who was a slave and one who was free. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. It was a fleshly act. It was something done by human efforts. But he of the free woman, that was a, a work of God. Sarah was past, past childbearing age, but she was able to give birth because, because of the promises of God. It's the fulfillment of God's promise. And so, so th there is a distinction here that he begins by explaining these two distinctions between these two women who had these two sons and these two sons represent two covenants. Verse 24 says, which things are symbolic for these are the two covenants. Verse 24. 
the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. And so he's talking about the fact that Hagar is the is the bond is the bondwoman, the slave, uh, which is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So so the first child, uh, Ishmael, um, that Hagar gave birth to, uh, it represents the Old Testament. It represents the old way of flesh, of operating in the flesh. That's what it represents. And the law represents operating in the flesh. But, verse 26, go to verse 26 for just a moment. The two, let me slow down. Here's my notes here. The, two, the children represent two different covenants. One represents bondage, just and, 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 and the other represents the other child is the child of a promise from God. And right here in verse number 26 and 27. But the but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written and look at what it says. Rejoice. Let me slow up before I read this, because I need you all to understand what this is about. Before I read it so you can understand it. Abraham. Um, wife Sarah gives birth, birth based out of promise. And a in Isaiah 54, one jot this, jot this verse down in Isaiah 54, one represents a, a prophetic promise, fulfillment and a promise made um, uh, that was made about um, about about Sarah. For it is written, verse 27, rejoice, O barren. She had been barren. Sarah had been barren all the way up until her, I think she was 75 years old. Rejoice, O barren. You who do not bear, I mean, she had, she had no children. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. You haven't, been, you, you haven't had labor up until this point. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. So 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 this is a prophetic word about Sarah who had no kids, who had no children. But it's talking about the fact that the handmaiden had children. But then verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Ultimately, she has a child based on the promises of God. And you know what? What it all boils down to, y'all, is when we get to wherever we are going um, and whatever we're doing, um, uh, we we we're going to stand on the promises of God. My my iPad is it working. It's OK. They can do it from the back. Go ahead. I think they can change, change and put the next point up. If they can't, then you all have to come and fix. I've lost connection here somehow uh, with my with my iPad. So. Um, if you, yep, they got it. I think they, they can get it. Verse 28, like Isaac, we are the children of promise. Y'all are on top of it. I'm proud of you. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. We are descendants of the promise. We, we get salvation because of the promise of God. We are, we're just like Isaac. We, we're able to get salvation because of God's promises. God made a promise to us. And it's great news. He's made a promise to us. Verse 29 says, but but has he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit? Even so it is now. And so the child born of the flesh persecutes the child of the promise. 
It talks evil about the children of promise. That's what it does. It, it, it makes them, it, it challenges them. Nevertheless, uh, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son is the bondwoman, for the son of the bondwoman, verse, verse 30, shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Again, some of y'all know the story that Abraham and his wife Sarah put Hagar and her son out of the house, sent them away. The child of the slave can't stay in the same camp, can't be an heir, can't get the same promises because it's an act of flesh, an act of the flesh. They can't go together. They can't walk together. They, they're not in the same camp. And so, and so people have looked at the fact that Abraham put Hagar out with Ishmael. And the question is, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he do But the revelation is that these two represent two separate covenants and you can't walk under the law and walk under the gospel. You can't uh, expect to get salvation through the law and get it through grace. It's one or the other. Uh, we are children of the bond woman. We are children of what's free. We've been freed. It says that's what verse 31 says. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bond woman, but of the free. And that's what we got to get in our hearts. We are children of the free. We have been bought with a price and he redeemed us and we've been adopted into the household of faith. So we're not trying to earn our way. We're not trying to work our way in. We're not trying to sing our way in, usher our way in. We're not trying to make our good outweigh our bad. That's not the page that we're on. We're, that's not where we are. We are, we're going to make it on the promises of God. The truth of the word and the promises he made to us. God made a promise to us, y'all. He made a promise and we, we get saved by the promises of God. So we are children of the free. We're not children of bondage. We're not going back down to that page. We're not walking back down that street. We're not going to return back to try to earn salvation through works. Now, let me just close with this. You know, there, there are some, you know, there are some principles in the, the, the law is, has principles that are, that will bless your life. The law has principles. If you, if you apply them to the, your life, you will benefit from them. But they, it won't save you. It won't make you a Christian. It won't give you a relationship with God. You know, the Bible, it has all those dietary laws that if you don't eat certain foods and don't mix certain meals, if you, if you honor that, it will, it will bless your physical body, but it will not help you spiritually in your relationship with God. There's some other Old Testament laws. It talks about don't mix certain fabrics together. And scientists have discovered that when those fabrics are mixed together, it weakens your flesh. And, and so you'll benefit by not mixing them, but it won't do anything for your spirit, your spiritual person or your spiritual life. We're in a relationship with Jesus and he gives us freedom that I respect and will uh, apply certain principles of the law to my life, but I'm not seeking to get saved by it. Get that in your spirit. We are saved based on the very promises of this, of this teaching right here by the relationship and our faith in Jesus. We, we get saved because we put our faith in the Son of God. And it makes us an heir.
You've been listening to FBCG Live with Pastor John K. Jenkins, Sr. If you've been blessed by this message and would like to help us reach more people through this ministry, please click the link in the podcast description or visit our website, fbcglenarden.org slash give to donate. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you'll subscribe so that you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to tune in next week.